So Rochelle and I moved here to London in August 2010. And the reason we moved to London was because of prophetic promises that God had given us over numbers of years previously about nations and uh, to be in the city and to be in cities. And also because of a particular word we heard in a meeting where someone said, God is calling some people here to transform churches in communities that those churches might themselves transform communities. Just remembering this week that that call, that prophetic burden on our heart was always for a cultural transformation of the local church in order that a culturally transformed church, a church that's lived out behaviour is increasingly full of faith, expectancy, hope and joy, would then begin to spill out into the community and transform the community and bring the kingdom and the rule of Jesus everywhere. So if you've got a Bible, I want us to look at uh, chapter 9 of Matthew. Because in talking about life groups and in, ta- and in talking about equipping tracks and the School of the Supernatural that we're launching next year, I want us to see it in the context of world mission. That the church is a place of family, it's a church of one another, it's a place where people love one another. It's also a place that outworks and fulfills the great commission of Matthew 28, to go into all the world and to make disciples of nations, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you. And I want us to understand the, the context of what we're looking at today and the changes that are coming are to further world mission and to further the harvest being reached. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 and verse uh, 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. That Jesus, when he looks at the world and looks at nations and looks at SE18 and looks at our area, he actually says the harvest is, is, is abundant, plentiful, overflowing and great. That Jesus says the harvest is incredibly plentiful. It's wonderful to know that, that when Jesus looks at the earth, Jesus looks at the earth and sees the countless myriads of men and women that he desires to bring into relationship with himself, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, to bring people back into right relationship, to rescue people It says that if Jesus gets lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. Because I've never met anybody, honestly, who has met Jesus. I mean, really met Jesus. I've met people who have met religion and said, I regret meeting religion. But I've never met anybody who has met Jesus, who's then said, I regret the day I was introduced to Jesus. No, I've never met anybody. And we go through different seasons in our lives. We go through some of those hard times. Challenging times, good times, fruitful times, pruning times, lots of different seasons. You know, Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But I've never met anybody in all the seasons they've gone through who says, I wish that person had never told me about Jesus. Jesus is the desire of nations. Everybody wants a saviour like Jesus. Everybody does. Everybody you look at in the world however great they are, however much they have, or however you perceive they've got it all together, everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs a saviour. Everybody needs somebody like who is Jesus who's going to rescue them and bring them home. And so Jesus says, I've got this big 
global mission and vision. He says that to the disciples in Acts. He says, it's going to start in Jerusalem, then it's going to go to Judea, then it's going to go to Samaria, then it's going to go to the ends of the earth. And the Acts generation took the gospel to the edges and the ends of the earth. So Jesus has got a global, huge vision. And then he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so Jesus says, I've got this big, global, global vision to reach all peoples with the good news of who I am. He says, there's nothing wrong with the harvest. It's abundant and plentiful and overflowing. And then he says, but the workers are few. He says, this mission, this vision to reach the earth, this mission, this vision to reach SEA team, to, Jesus said to me personally, he said, if you want SEA team, if you want it, you can have it. There's an abundant harvest here. There's opportunities here to influence and impact. And Jesus says, the issue is not the harvest, it's the workers. And then he gives the answer. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. He says, ask the Lord to release a whole group of people, a generation of people who are believing believers who believe to go out and take the good news wherever they go. There's a, there's a harvest that's just waiting. There's divine appointments everywhere. Just pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up men and women to go out into the harvest. And sometimes we, we can pray, instead of saying to the Lord of the harvest, send the workers, or like Isaiah says, send me, we sometimes say, God, will you come down and will you reach the harvest? So how many prayer meetings we've been in where we're asking God to do what God said the workers were going to do? We said, oh God, would you come and rescue? Oh God, would you come and save? And of course, he's the rescuer, he's the saver. No one comes to Jesus without a revelation from the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's a sovereign work of God. But Jesus says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field. That's how the mission and the vision, this global vision gets done is through a raised up people. And sometimes we can find ourselves praying, God, you do it. Or, God, will you just grow a church? God, will you just grow the church? And somehow, if the church is big enough, we'll fulfil the global vision. Churches can have thousands, churches can have hundreds in them, churches can have hundreds of thousands, but not necessarily be filling the Great Commission. You can have a numerically gigantic church and the world can be left untouched. You can have thousands filling an auditorium, but society might not necessarily be touched. The harvest might not necessarily be touched. It might just be lots of believers gathering around a really good meeting. So Jesus doesn't say, God, Father, you come and do it. He doesn't say, just build big churches because big churches get it done. And nor does he say, Oh, just give big leaders. If only we, we, we just pray that we have these super charismatic individuals, they'll get it done. Jesus says, no, pray for the workers. Pray for the workers. So the goal of discipleship then, the goal of church, the goal of gathering is to love one another, support one another, edify one another, encourage one another, in order that we build one another up, that the grace flows from one another, 
in order that we, each person, goes on a journey of becoming a big, empowered believer. So that each person, as they're grown in Christ, knows that they carry authority and grace and anointing to lead people to Christ, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, raise the dead, open blind eyes, open deaf ears. That you could lead your neighbours to Christ and then you would know what to do to make them and help them mature. Because you are a mature disciple yourself. That's the goal of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, Father, Lord of the harvest, we need workers, mature big people, who are equipped to heal the sick, love the poor, disciple their neighbour and set the captive free. And that's what we're building here. That's what we're building here. That's what we're about here. It's what the vision and the mission is. It's what we gather for. We gather to encounter Jesus. To be touched by his goodness. To have our faith built up. So that each and every one knows I'm, a, I'm becoming increasingly a big person in Christ. And I'm one of the workers who are going into the harvest field because the harvest field is plentiful. Then Jesus, so he says, pray for the harvest. And and we know that Jesus is all the time talking to the Father, communicating with the Father. And then he says in chapter 10 of Matthew, he says, then Jesus called the 12 disciples to him. He's now actually answering the prayer that he just prayed to the Lord of the harvest through a strategic action. So he said, Ask the Lord of the harvest, because the, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Now I'm going to answer the prayer that I've just prayed to the Father through a training, strategic decision. He says, he called the twelve to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and illness. He gave them what they needed to do the commission that he was giving them, because Matthew 28 says, all authority belongs to me. All. So if Jesus has got all authority, how much authority has the devil really got? He's got none. Because he can't have all and he has some. Because Jesus made a public spectacle of the devil at the cross. He said categorical, glorious victory at the cross. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered sickness. He conquered it all. And then he says, go with the power of the Holy Spirit into all the earth and make disciples. First in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the world. Why? Because I've got all authority and I'm giving you all authority to raise the dead, to cleanse the leper, to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears. That's the gospel. So that's Jesus' answer to the prayer. I'm going to send you... And I'm going to give you what I've got, which is authority to do the job, to do the things that I've been doing. You're going to do them because Holy Spirit's going to come and empower you. And you're going to be believing believers who actually believe. So Jesus takes this strategic decision to answer his own prayer. See, Jesus' method wasn't just to teach people about the theory of being a believer. He called them to greater works. He said, these are the signs that are going to follow you who believe. And then he invites them into 
an opportunity to be released and empowered to do the very thing that he has been modelling and teaching and doing amongst the people. Our Western discipleship model is very different. It tends to be, we're going to tell you, 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 tell you. And when we don't see the world change, we'll tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you. And if it still doesn't work, we'll teach you, teach you, teach you, teach you, teach you, teach you, teach you. That's not the way the Bible understood discipleship. The Bible understood, I'm going to teach you, and you're going to do. I'm going to teach you, and and then you're going to do. It's an apprenticeship model. I'm going to show you. I'm going to model it. That's why the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because they've seen Jesus pray. So they want to do the things that Jesus is doing. So Jesus' method to answer the prayer for the workers is to teach and then to release and empower others to do. Jesus' method is always an activation of the saints. It's always an activation, a call into action. So this means we have to have a whole new paradigm understanding of church. It means that the gifts of Jesus, like the Ephesians 4 ministries, of pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, evangelist, cannot measure their success of ministry by how many bums they get on a seat. It cannot be, because that's not the measurement that Jesus measured things by. Jesus' measurement was, I'm I'm teaching you in order to do, in order to change the world. Because actually Jesus is, if you let take it, God on earth lost pretty much everyone. It didn't look very successful. But what he was doing, he was training, equipping, training, releasing, feeding back, giving opportunity. They would go up and do stuff and say, didn't you see, you know, they would talk about the, who's the greatest and they would talk about even the demons submit to your name when we speak and Jesus said, fantastic, I've seen Satan fall like lightning, that's amazing. But don't rejoice that that happens, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. He was always adjusting and change and challenging and teaching in the context of doing. So Jesus invites us into a story that he's writing, not as observers, but as active participants. So it's interesting, when I was a kid, Dad used to take me here today to see Speedway every Thursday night when it was on, Ipswich Witches. My hero was John Louis. There's all these great riders. But I just remember one day thinking, I'm never going to be a speedway rider, am I? I don't have a bike. And I'm not going to race on a shale track. I don't see it happening. But football, oh, football, I could be an active participant. (laughs) You only need two jumpers and a ball and you're you're in the game. (laughs) Speedway, you need this motorbike and you need to be, you know, it's a lot of resources. But football... You can be an active participant. See, Jesus says, I want to invite you into the story. I want you to get suited up and get on the game and play. It's like we think of Christianity being, I'm just going to be an observer. No, the the great clan of witnesses get to cheer us on. But we're we're actually in the game of Jesus. We're actually with him on the pitch. He suits us up. And he puts us in positions and opportunities 
if you like football to score goals or netball to get to get points or you know he gets us into the game so that we're participating and then it says that in verse 5 of Matthew 10 these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions he sends them out to represent him in other words, I've got high-level beliefs about you. I really trust you to represent me well. I love you. I believe in you. I'm sending you out. Believing that you can do a good job. Believing that you carry something. He believes in them. And part of the reason he believes in them is because love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And also he believes in them because he has all authority. And he's got the capacity and the ability to give them what they need to do the job that they're doing. So that when they come to the bound up, the captive, the sick, they just speak his name and they unleash all the force of the Lion of Judah in a name. He's got confidence in who he is and what he carries. That even in brief interactions, he knows that things can happen because of who he is. And Jesus knows. He knows that. I was talking to Jesus this week and realizing how slow I learn. And how slow I apply. But love is so patient. He knows how long it takes us to get things. He just knows he just knows how long it takes us to truly get who we really are and who he really is. And he knows that. And he's so patient and kind and long-suffering with us. He understood that with the disciples. He understood that a Peter could get a revelation that he's the Christ and the next moment a Peter could be told, get behind me, Satan. He understands how long it takes us to get things. He understands like when Peter denied him because he was fearful of people and then again in Galatians he's fearful of people doing the same thing. He understands that it takes time. And so life groups is an opportunity for you and I to reach forward, to do things, to take steps, to be empowered, to get more opportunities. That it's only in doing that we actually discover the grace that we carry. It's only in doing that every personal revelation with God has to be planted into opportunities of doing. Because it's only in risking and doing and taking steps and stepping up and saying, you know what, I'm going to have a go at leading. Or I'm going to have a go at doing something. It's only in those opportunities that we grow and discover because growth happens both inside us and then it comes out of us but we also grow through things happening around us and us stepping into them mm. we grow as James says by both hearing and then doing Amen. I want to finish with this I am so grateful to God that I have things in my life right now that scare me silly Things I don't know how to do that make me feel intimidated and overwhelmed. Yes. Make me feel scared and not wanting to say yes. 
I've got loads of those. And every person, every believer, wherever we are in our walk with God, needs a ton of stuff around us where it just scares us, where we feel intimidated, where we think, can I really do this? Will it work? Am I capable? Will I look silly? Is this going to happen? And we step into them and say, you know what? Jesus, your method was you gave opportunity, you believed and gave authority, and then you sent us out to go and do some stuff. There's a guy who started a work in New York City, a, a work with children, Sunday school, and he said, to get something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. And for some of us, our, our, our walk with Jesus just feels stunted because we can't remember the last time we just had to lean fully on the authority and the capacity and the beliefs of Jesus. We've got so used to doing what's in our own strength. Sometimes we get used to being a big fish in a small pond and we need to place ourselves into situations where we're overwhelmed and intimidated. We have to lean back on him and say, Jesus... If you don't turn up, nothing's happening. If you don't turn up, you know what, I'm going to look silly. But ultimately, it's all about your glory, so turn up, Jesus. We grow through doing something. And so, Rochelle's going to talk about life groups. Life groups are about fulfilling the great commission of Jesus to reach this area. Because it's only in doing something that we ultimately grow. It's only in risking that we mature. <coughs> and that the goal of Jesus is actually the transformation of society through people being both being born again and then receiving wisdom from believers to know how to live. 